0: You're listening to part three of the Poemathon, an all-day, non-stop sponsored poetry reading from a lineup of 60 brilliant poets in May 2019. As of this podcast being published, you can still donate to our fundraising total at beat.ly/poemdonate. poem donate. Your donation will help support the Poetry Society's program of events, publications, education and outreach work and keep the doors open to our central London venue, the Poetry Cafe. That's beat.ly/poemdonate.
1: Thanks. Hello, people of the Poetry Cafe. How you're doing? Are you good? And to meet some of you who I haven't met before, so I am going to be your host for the next hour of poetry here this afternoon at the Poemathon at the Poetry Cafe. Um, really, really looking forward to uh, this next section. Once we've managed the inflow and outflow of poets, always, always a fun part of the day. Whenever you're running any kind of Poemathon, is who's going to come in and who's going to go out. You never know. It's like a kind of amazing roulette. So, we're well settled now. Amazing. I've been here for a couple of hours. I've been really, really enjoying it. It's been such a wonderful mix of things. So for those of you who haven't... Haven't been here for that amount of time. We've had poems about uh, fictional dolls in The Simpsons. We've had poems about beautiful arrays of food by Ramona Herbin, which has frankly made me quite hungry now. But thankfully, there's a cafe upstairs. We've had poems about American dogs who are different to English poems' cats. And we've had poems about travels around Asia. So who knows what we're going to get in the next hour. But I'm sure it's going to be magical. So my name is Sophia Blackwell. I'm going to be hosting the next hour for you. And um, I'd very much like to... Um first poet of this part of the day. So we have um, a wonderful poet up first in this coveted 1610 slot, everyone's keeping to time, this will not last, I'll tell you that. Uh, (laughs) You wait till the wine starts flowing upstairs, that's why I chose this slot. Um, So I'd very much like to welcome to the stage Tammy Yoseloff, who is a core tutor at the Poetry School, um, has five full collections, and her most recent is A Formula for Night, New and Selected Poems. Please put your hands together for Tammy Yoseloff. Thank you. (laughs)
2: Thank you. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm going to see. Can I do this without glasses? No. <laughs> right. Um, first poem um, takes its title from um, a drawing of the same name by the American artist George O'Keefe. Train at night in the desert. Charcoal dark. Nothing to see but twin ghosts of your face in safety glass, the man opposite upholstered in thick fibers of slumber. You're pulled by a faith in steel. The train is a lung-breathing dust as it huffs to a black dot on the map, a bug stuck on its back, giggly legs flailing in air. Out there, the coyote keeps its secrets. It has its own line of action. It doesn't give a shit about your plans. Um, This is one of these poems that's prefaced by um, the statement based on a true story. Um, My uncle, um, I'm rather ashamed to say, really was a recreational hunter, and I really did inherit his bear skull. Bear skull. My uncle was a recreational hunter his house was crammed with the skins and skulls of his kills. Jackrabbits, bighorn sheep, wild cats, black bears. He fashioned ashtrays out of hooves. All his rugs had heads. There's a photo of his wife, her pale hair falling over her face, a hint of a smile, with a grizzly stuck-in-mock attack behind her. The bear reaches out, as if to hold her close in his furry paws. She couldn't stand all those glass eyes staring. It's either them or me. I lift the skull from the box with both hands. Did the bear rear when the shot hit, his huge head swaying side to side, dead brush crushed as he fell? Did my uncle feel the chamber's release as the bullet forced towards the bear's heart? The sky closed around them, bear and man. The air sang with the stink of meat. My uncle never thought his wife would go first. She was so much younger. He paced the bare rooms she'd redecorated in French provincial style with swirls of flowers and fruit, lost in his own house. Thank you. <laughs> Never had that reaction before. <laughs> um, this is a poem called "The Wayfarer," and it's based on um, the painting of the same name by Hieronymus Bosch. The Wayfarer. Here is a sunless land where pigs rejoice in filth. The man without a pot to piss in waters the wall at the sign of the goose. The house of ill repute. The dog eyes me as a potential leg to bite. They can't know what I've gandered in my time on the road. Buckets of sorrow slopping over the hard stare of starvation. I am bone lean, stooped. If I look familiar, fellow wanderer, it's because you see yourself in the mirror of my eye. You know each step on the path to the grave is pitted with little deaths. The gate ahead is locked, so where to go? I could shelter in the bawd's roofless hovel beside her ruined crones, or I could fling the dog these tired bones. The owl knows the worth of waiting, mouse in his crosshatch eyes. I'm not as wise, a cat who's trashed eight lives, its pelt a feast for maggots. God looked down and spat, so the rain came to these quarters and will not cease, Noah's flood made swamp. I'll lay my head on the unforgiving earth to call a halt to moving, but there's no rest. Sleep is just another dark to fear. Um, staying in the Dark, um, a poem called Night Mode, uh, which is what your phone does when it goes to sleep. Night Mode. The hours are counting certainty on tiny screens. I'm turned to silent. Hair grows faster in the dark when no one's watching. I can hear it break through skin. Cats disappear in boxes, again and again in slow motion. This is what passes for entertainment. Say you're in transit. It sounds better. Say you believe in indeterminacy. No wrong answers, just poor questions. It's already morning in Australia. How exhausting. Someone is always crowing about a clear blue sky. Failure is a beautiful word, the way it curls around your tongue. Embrace it. Let it love you. Enough. We'll call it a day. Um, Seeing as we're heading into the summer holidays, um, a very cheerful poem called Holiday Cottage. Rain saddens brick, a sodden blackbird huddles under shrubs. We hunker down in the Stygian kitchen where even the knives don't shine. We're stuck to the window in wait for sun. It's forecast on the app, but the sky turns crow dark, horror show. There's nowhere to go, even home is sunk. The motorway stacked with failed day trippers, sopping girl guides. The burger van has buggered off. Trains wade in the wrong kind of rain. We stare at the knockoff haywain, hung crooked over the hearth, and dream of England, the shire bells, the box set, the MS s biscuit tin. The empire we'll never find again, detained in this hole, this crease in the map, neither here nor there, a leave to remain. We had to get a Brexit poem in, I guess. <laughs>
3: um...
2: And finally, oh, I think I've done that perfectly. I've got four minutes. Okay, well, then I'll read two more, actually. There we go. I I, I timed that. I must have been much slower when I timed it. Um, This is a sonnet to um, an item of apparel that every woman should have in her wardrobe, the little black dress. Little black dress too tight too short it weathered nights on the lash with my broken spined plath my Bacardian coke a classic lbd from bendel's or sax sole owner deceased her closet dispatched to the charity shop where we picked over Givenchy like vultures my wardrobe belonged to the dead smoking in sharkskin, a boucle vest with leopard lapels that died for my sins, which were minor enough to dress for the part, Rachmaninoff oozing through speakers, the record skipping into dusk, and us, university girls with daddies and trusts, drunk and disorderly, dropping off barstools one by one until the time arrives for widow's weeds and weeping veils, ray darkening the sun. Oh, thank you. Uh, okay. Um, a poem called Snails. Withdrawn from toxic sprays, deadly beer, they estivate, motionless in grave homes, a vile straightening. Hold up for days, ignoring the radio, the funereal newsreader. We dine on their gummy bodies, tight knots we prod from shre- shells with little forks, then dip in garlic butter, dangling them before our mouths, leaving only a hard case, an empty offering, the spiral's apex, a whirlwind uncoiling. Um, and finally... Another Brexit poem, I'm really sorry. Um, I was stuck on a train and I actually watched um, two sheep doing this. They were kind of charging at each other in this field and they were kind of charging at each other and then back up and do it again and back up and do it again. And I thought that is definitely a metaphor for Brexit. (laughs) Sheeple. The train slows to a halt in some shire or other. The heartland lowers slaughter. Two of them, like cumulus on stilts, perform a moonwalk in reverse, step by courtly step, before they charge, almost lifting off, crashing head to head, and then again, hardwired to the bunt. Wars of the flock? Dick fight? Ten stétente? What ticks in their spongy brains? The rest chew cud, foot rot rooting them, the green and pleasant place of no escape. They ruminate in marshy gas while all the birds of Oxfordshire and Gloucestershire feast on their creep. Thanks.
1: Thank you, Tammy, for that wonderful set. We've got some very, very high-quality poetry and high-quality poets here today. And uh, just a reminder that if you want to support the event, support the Poetry Society and the upkeep of the Poetry School, do donate. They have a very easy, frictionless, iZettle-type thing upstairs. All you have to do is wave your card at it. No excuses. You can't say you didn't bring out any cash with you because they've got that all sorted out. Are we ready for our next poet, people? Fantastic. This is a real mix because some of these people I've had the pleasure of working with before, some are entirely new to me. Um, I'm delighted to uh, welcome Claire Collison to the stage um, because I've worked with her before and thoroughly looking forward to it. She is a, a woman's prize winner. She is a single-breasted life model, and she's back from Spain to Brexit Island for this, so I think she deserves an extra round of applause. Give it up for Claire Claire Collison!
4: Uh, Look what I just won in the tombola! (laughs) The architect. Yeah. Okay. Hello. The architect. He slams the eel on a nail he's hammered into wood outside, hammered to the wall of the hut by the lake. Where the nets, where the traps, where they caught. He slams the eel onto the nail in the wood with his fist, outside the house that's a boat. They live on a boat by a lake, but not on the lake. They sweat in a sauna on the edge of the lake, ladling pine water to steam as they sweat, pine sweat. The wood is pine, the hut is pine, on a lake in a pine wood. Inside they carve, bowl inside bowl inside bowl to a nest of curve and grain to the smallest so all they lose is a plug that fits a nightlight. Fire inside wood inside, outside lake and wood, a jetty and a motorboat, plastic floats to mark the nets he used to trap the eel he will peel. He slams the eel on the nail, Cuts an incision below the slit. Wraps a collar of newspaper for purchase. Tugs down like a bell ringer, both hands. Tears the silver black. The skin comes off in one. I, that, w- that was in the recent Creel anthology. I had to apologize that all my eel poems are about dead eels or eating eels. Um, but apparently that's okay for the ecology. They need to be eaten, and that's okay. Uh, this one is my kind of Brexit poem. Um, it's, the title is The Name of a Butterfly, and it was written way before Brexit, but it just seems to have kind of gathered that momentum around it. It's called Arashnia lavana, How Dock Leaves Work. My name today, she says, slipping under the mirror's silver, is Map. She holds the seesaw in horizontal with sheer thigh power. It's all in the balance. And my name's Yam. This is Cheshire, 1970. Pam lives in a caravan, a field away, with her mum, Dutch, her accent rich as raisins and spitty, the sleeves of her kimono soup-dipped. She's expecting a carrot-top boy will give birth to him soon on a bean bag, which is not filled with beans, but hard white beads of polystyrene. Pam shows me how to pick flowers off female stingers to look hard, how dock leaves work. With two sticks of chalk, her perfect centre parting pressed to the wall, she alphabets left and right, at full stretch, steps back from a pattern you could fold on itself. After the boy's born, before summer's properly done, they've gone. My dad says they didn't have the paperwork. I find the corduroy beanbag in a ditch, spilling its white eggs. ghost. When you told me how your freshly showered sister smelled of mozzarella, and that memory wasn't unpleasant, as you described it, I suppose a fresh, milky smell, and how you smelt it again, visiting a medium when, the, when you were the age of your now dead sister, and the medium said it was because she couldn't bear it, you overtaking her. And what a curious thing it is when the living age overtaking the dead, and all they can do is emanate their signature scent, white and creamy, floating in brine. This is a very recent one. Um, It's uh, in the beautiful, I don't know if you've seen uh, Finished Creatures, uh, Airborne, Um, it's in there, Uh, it's Dolomites, and it starts with a quote from the Times, November the 2nd, 2018. Especially hard hit were the spruce trees of the Panaveggio Park, beloved by Antonio Stradivari as the place to find wood for his stringed instruments. I almost blinded a cellist once in St. Martin in the Fields. He was performing the Bach Suites from memory. Sunlight ricocheted from my pocket mirror, just missing his eye. When I dream I'm flying, it is modest and domestic. I take off from a chair, breaststroking over dining tables and kitchen work surfaces. Omniscience has always been cherry pickers the first five minutes of Citizen Kane. Drones give feeble godview, but we can't resist. How unevolved we are compared to flies or root hair. There are cellos in the trees. We wear paper hats and complain like squirrels, feeding our leftovers to the wolves. This one, um, don't ask me, but um, it is about um, imagining that Esther Williams, synchronised swimming, uh, was married to Noah. Um, So it's called Esther and the Ark. Esther and the Ark. The milk's off. That's a sign. And the monkeys smell of cradle cap. We're all on edge, dry docked. The sky's a headache. Esther, in trademark two-piece, dishes out nose clips, drills us. Work and pray, stay in your pairs, and for God's sake, smile. She can't stop with the air crawl, Mrs. oars for arms, head twisting, port to starboard. To begin with, we think it's the timber settling. He's on the—he's moving the furniture, she jokes. On his Harley, I reply. We dovetail pretty well, all told. She has spirit, can hold her breath for hours, prize herself from a clam. The birds are first to sense it, the gasp. Then plash on my sawdust skin. Esther slicks on vaseline. It'll take forever to wash out. She's promised us swallow dives. And, um, to end on. Have I got time to end on?
5: Uh,
4: yeah OK. The ladies' pond. Days before the mistake to me, you return to the heath to swim again while you can. It's May Day and people are flying kites. There's a dog show with celebrities, obedience tests, novelty cakes. The pond is still as cool and green. You drop down rungs this time, watching your limbs porcelain. Sunlight slips through the tree perimeter, mottling gear. And you remember when you dove from the board over and over, half your lifetime ago. It was dawn and you were naked, very two-breasted, very avant-garde. The old woman was pond from neck down, When she ordered you into the water, you complied the way a child would. I'm not a prude, she told you later in the changing room, where now two girls half your age, glowing from their impromptu dip, blot themselves on leaves of pink financial times. I mean, look, she said, peeling off her swimsuit without fuss. You can't remember much about the scars beyond her attitude. Look, she said, dismissing them. The scars were old, and she was old, and she was here and swimming, pond from the neck down. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much, Claire, for that wonderful, fantastic set. Right, right, right. We now will welcome our next performer to the stage. Please, I want to put your hands together for our next poet this afternoon. Our next poet this afternoon is Martin Crucifix. Martin's next book upcoming is called Cargo of Limbs, and explores the plight of refugees crossing the Mediterranean. Please put your hands together, and welcome Martin to the stage, everybody. Thank you.
5: Thank you very much. Isn't it just the way? I've been here 20 minutes, and we've had about 17 Brexit poems already, and you will be delighted to hear I'm going to give you a few more. Uh, These are poems that, in fact, have been written over the last five years or so, um, but I've come to see them uh, as connected with uh, the sheer hell that is going on around us as we speak. Um, I'll just read them without any uh, introduction once I get going. Um, This first one is called Invitation. Come talk with me, come talk about difference, with its ambiguous double birth, its whelping of conflict and war, ubiquitous, so there seems nothing we might love it for, but the might we have, and the fear of its loss. Why make of it a god? Why so impressed by spite how world's complexity makes us dread it more, makes us other Everything and everyone we meet. Then talk with me. Talk instead about difference with its sudden and, oh, sometimes shocking riches. Its othering that will hone attention, not dull it. Tell me, what frightens you? Nothing but the might we have, the fear of its loss. Then will you follow, follow the like click like into world's variousness, these works and days, and will you rest more easy among mongrel forms, then come talk with me, come talk, because tell me, when has this ever been news, when it comes to purity, there has never been too much noise. Like crimes, woven into the weft of a T-shirt, waiting on the reduced rail. Like the shape of the skull, no one remarks in the fleshed cheek of a newborn. Like envy, buried for years in the black heart of expressed admiration. Like sunshine, that is really the withering night, poured into soil where wheat grows. Like the million tons of water lying interred beneath the city of London. Like a bank of cloud, like the gathering of more clouds above Threadneedle Street. So it is in and around and over and above. All the bridges are down. Somebody said, Somebody said, somebody said. Roger McGough said, don't applaud after each poem because some of them will get jealous or something of that sort." (laughs) This is in a a cafe very near you, probably. Watch the child at her bright picture book, how she mutters, how she gazes into midair, Her several gestures are of several kinds. It's as if she does the different voices herself. While gazing up into midair, her mother at her cooling latte, at her macchiato, At her cooling, skinny, medium, cappuccino. At her Americano, her mother. At her frappuccino, rising to room temperature. Her mother's ears, securely wired with two scarlet buds. She gazes for minutes into the middle distance. Hot red wires snaking into her lap. All the bridges are down. I've explained to you, you can make them talk when the madness is on them. There are days you can urge them to talk when they're caught a glancing blow at the crossing. You can persuade them to talk by ducking their heads under the water. Sometimes you can tempt them into speech on the pillow afterwards, drawing a trail of hair from their forehead. But try as you might, you can't make them talk When they're struck dumb by riches All the bridges are down How you order your flat white with care Or diesel with care Or cling film Or eat responsibly sourced seafood With care, red meat or bottled carbonated water you dispose of in the bins provided with care. With care, what you have locked away, what you have stowed in the understairs cupboard, how you travel by land, sea, and air with care. Then insist on being used by the language with care. With care, discoursing with friends when touching friends and your extended family with care, your actions, have a care, and your reactions with care, with a passionate care where possible, your politics, how you govern, or set out to work, or choose how and who you play with tomorrow, with care, I mean, take care, not forgetting, all the bridges are down. I find oval breasts and long hair approaching. I sniff the scent of perfume, call it a woman. I find a shovel-shaped beard, broad shoulders, stance splayed like scissors. I call it a man. But look closer. Consider these creatures that hover between neither man nor woman Welcome at last. Welcome. I've no complaint to a younger brother. All sisters and brothers. I know a gigantic crowd with my five senses. All sisters and brothers. I find a host of angels turning to each other, singing. I see barbed wire on the perimeter. All the bridges down. I think I'll do two more. One very short. The six-pack on the side of the bus is a god. The hair care, the jade earring. The clock is a sinister and impassive god. For the ancients, rumor, was a kind of god, the data set, the next level my mobile phone with its lure of a liquid retina screen the purity of product the window display each are gods and the parking assist the speed of delivery the hemp tote bag are gods the ill-proof red prize-winning plaque is a god wi-fi is a god When we curse its absence. And when did difference become a god? And of identity we have made a god. Whatever is shredded or faked or redacted is a god. And what is tortured is always a god. So many gods. Oh, there are so many gods. So little space left to set my feet. So long ago I lost any place. To lay my head, all the bridges, down. And the last one. Oh, how I envy the warm right arm of your sunglasses, Hooked into the plunging V-neck of your shirt, Reaching down between ten years' untouchable breasts, all the bridges down. Thank you.
1: Thank you. Martin Crucifix, everybody. Give it up one more time for Martin. All right. right, let's see who we've got next. Ah, please, everyone, welcome to stage, Sophia Blackwell. Hey. That'd be me. Um, performance poet, uh, not sorry. I have, it's funny to try and talk about your own credentials without sounding a bit foolish, but nonetheless, uh, I've got uh, one chapbook in two collections, one of which, The Fire Eater's Lover, is upstairs in the Tombola. Very exciting. It's not quite The Letters of T.S. Eliot, but the cover on my book is a lot sexier and his, so you can win that if you enter the Tombola. Also a reminder, do donate if you possibly can. Readers are not obligated to donate, but the iZettle thing on the front desk is there and waiting for you. So, as well as being a performance poet, I'm um, also am a, bit, a bit of a form addict. I love playing around with forms. So, I'm going to start with an acrostic, spells out my full name, Sophia Angela Blackwell, going down the page. And I like doing this in performance because it's essentially meaningless, um, but you can see, if possible, where the letters land. I always prefer to do this in a workshop where I've got a whiteboard handy, but I love doing this poem anyway, so it's called Naming. So here's the thing. My mother gave me wisdom over my cot in the absence of fairies, plucked me a weighty name that would make me hold my own, a queen's name that would pull me into high halls where clean boys flushed with Greek asked me politely if I knew its meaning. And my middle name, well, that's my mother's sister. No children, I'm named after her grief. Guilt that pulled my mother down cracked halls, ending in curtain stalls of women keening loud as the doomed, with nothing left to lose and nowhere to run where I emerged screaming. Black-haired, blue-eyed, my father's daughter. Loud, greedy, kicking blood as brackish as the dark water my family are named for, i.e. Blackwell. Cold and unlikely as blood from a rock. Knowing nothing, not our foreignness, whether we were slave dealers or slaves, even in birth, questions wrapped me like skin, like love, fear, hope, and all the things I'd learn, and life huge and nameless and ready to begin. Thank you. <laughs> Right, So um, it's it's the law to do something Brexity. This is the closest I have. Um, Basically there's two things you need to know about about this poem. Uh, One is that uh, my lovely wife, um, her mother came over from Barbados shortly after the uh, original Windrush journey. And the second thing you need to know about my wife is that she's the kind of person who looks for locations on her phone while you are standing next to them. And the first time she did this I threatened to divorce her. We weren't married at the time but I think she got the point. So this is about the idea of home and the idea of journeys especially if your family is not a region from the UK. This one is called Migrations and it begins my third collection, The Other Woman, which is like my second one, published by Burning Eye. I lost it in the 10th arrondissement one rainy day when you refused to see or look up from your phone or back at me across the street your longed-for restaurant, the one place in Paris that cooked like Hoxton. It seems our answer to thickening borders and passport-glaring guards with armoured shoulders is to make this world our own private London. Way up the charms of Spain and San Francisco in rooftop bars. You boot up your computers seeking solutions, troubleshooting risks, truth is every marriage has its own future and its own laws. One thin certificate renders skin and gender a non-issue for us, for now. Our anthem is your breastbone against my ear. Our histories twist with anger, but we know you can't make a meal of hunger. And all our ancestors' turbulent crossings have come to rest in us. Coins sewn in hems, your sepia mother in tan leather gloves, all chapters in a book that ends with love. And our friends, olive-skinned kids, honouring them at our table. The wind rush in you, the golden door in me, it's all there. So let the wanderers come from war to the ports, staggering up the shore to find what we find London, Madrid, Rome, and me in the middle, tugging your coat once more and asking you, are we not already home? Thank you. So the title of the new book is The Other Woman, and that means a lot of different things. So there's being the other woman in um, somebody else's relationship, there's the other woman that will occasionally show up in my relationship, there's the other woman in my marriage, I, my lovely wife, who's also on the cover of the new book, but this other woman that the title poem is based on is the people that my exes date after me. And sometimes I look at them and just go, I was really not what you were looking for, was I? This is the other woman, hope you like her. She owns a fleece and knows the names of trees. She understands Bitcoin, blockchain and chess. Her male friends do not think of her that way. The other woman isn't much like me. The other woman gets from A to B. She chairs committees, tweets at companies. I send an emailed grievance privately The other woman's really not like me. She studied at life's university. She sees no need for fiction, hip-hop, lipstick. People do not find her threatening at parties. Your friends all say she suits you more than me. Your parents tolerate her grudgingly. You never stuffed her past in frayed bin bags that split and spilled. She owns some property. Well, you'll never have to look for her in me. You got a ring now and a front door key, and me, I'm good. In fact, I'm moving closer towards the woman I'd have been without you, with everything you caged in me set free. Sometimes I wonder when she'll start to doubt you, and that's one thing she'll have to share with me. Thank you. So uh, this next one is, is, is an earlier poem. Uh, it's one of my favourites, and um, probably because it's short and therefore easy to memorise. Um, and essentially, this is for anybody whose ex communicates with them primarily through passive-aggressive subtweets. <laughs> um, so in 2013, equal marriage. Hooray, very, very exciting, monumental thing. Um, my ex decides to celebrate this happening by doing a tweet that says, now we can, I would have done. And I was like, what, do you want a cookie? What do you get for nearly marrying someone? Can you nearly marry someone? It's like nearly finding the cure for cancer or writing to the bank saying, I've nearly paid my student loans off. So yes, I'm Sophia, but I'm nearly Cara Delevingne. You said you nearly married me. That's really not a thing. I must admit it worried me, like what would nearly married be? A cake crumb of eternity? The imprint? of a ring, no silver paper invitation signed and sealed sincerely, no debating the location and, in fact, no conversation came before your declaration, you'd have asked me nearly. You always thought there was another, though I loved you dearly, but with so much to be discovered, could we forego former lovers, only us beneath your covers shun or others? Nearly. When things are manifestly sour, it's simplest to get rid. Some lady poets spend their hours composing in their nearly bowers, like Wendy Cope, whose nearly flowers have made her a few quids. I love it when people get that. But me? I take shit literally. And I loved you still, deliberately, for everything you did for me, not what you nearly did. Thank you. Paul, how am I doing for time? A couple of minutes, okay. I'm going to do two shortish ones before we motor on with the rest of the set. This is your reminder: give us cash. Um, So this one I'm going to do. This is a a there's a couple of slightly more literary ones which I'll try and squeeze in here, just so you know that I don't spend my life in nightclubs shouting at people. Perish the thought. So these are some slightly more bookish ones here. Um, This first one I'm going to do is about my grandad. and he had a vascular dementia. And it did some really interesting things to his vocabulary. And he was quite a plain-spoken, originally Irish guy. And he always spoke very plainly. But the dementia made his language more flowery. As he lost certain words, he would reach for others. And it made the whole thing very, very interesting. Some unintended moments of humour. So it's about him at that point, And it's called um, Hinterland's. Oh yeah, and the one thing you need to know is that my granddad was such a hard man that we had to give him the last rites three times. The afternoon my granddad was anointed, calls were made and trains pulled out of stations. His sins, had he committed them, were voided, forgotten by a God whose gentle absence seemed at least consistent. Next day he woke grasping at straws again and we celebrated around his chair, our makeshift Lazarus looking bemused at us. This shaking man who named the place he'd been the hinterlands and asked me about life on the continent, which was his dementious phrase for London, as though I was a glamorous wartime traveller with leather gloves and fragile documents typed in brown ink. I pictured a small room somewhere foreign, windows without frames, the hot black coffee and small heavy coins, mysterious street signs, and the distant bells of an old church, chanting all our names. Thank you. So, before I move on back into my role as a compare and introduce the next poet, uh, one short one to finish with. This is the sum total of all of the wisdom that I've picked up in my 30-something years on this earth. It's very short. And uh, to demonstrate how important it is, I will begin the poem doing the Tory power stance. This is called... How you learn. Choose the second cheapest booze. It's probably less rough. Lipstick that's not red is not working hard enough. Add a little water when your onions start to burn. You know, you think of her when you do that, but this is how you learn. Dress codes in the Middle East, the Arabic for book. Eyes or lips, not both, though you like a bolder look. Anything can shift and change, anything can turn. Never date a mama's boy. This is how you learn. Try not to act too try-hard while eating somewhere glam. Tap water, please, the wine is fine. You think you'll have the lamb. When you're making coffee, see at the bottom of the urn. You know, a man I hated taught me that. But this is how you learn. Rinse your hair in icy water. You are not a dancer. God is in the house, but she doesn't always answer. Keep on moving forward when you know you can't return. This journey is the only one, and this is how you learn. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Thank you very much. Do so we have Claudine Tungi in the house? Is Claudine here? Yeah. Fantastic. I was hiding over there behind Heather. Fantastic. Please. Uh, so Claudine Tatungi writes for stage, screen and radio. She has a rather fantastically titled debut poetry collection. The trouble with collections is you always kind of struggle to think what to name them and come up with like a really hip and fantastic name. But I love the name of this one in particular, so if we could all either head in, out, down, and suddenly it's quiet again, boom, so Claudine writes for stage, writes for screen, and writes for radio, her debut collection is published by Carconet. it's called Smoothie, which I think is a fantastic title, please everyone, put your hands together for Claudine!
0: Thanks Sophia, I'm just going to go on the basis that we're pretty much hopefully the same height. (laughs) who knows, (laughs) never met before but we are bonded over on mic sound hijack, jump cut to Rome and it's fast a hand on the throat a commedia dell'arte gasp she is being spoken by the language Italian he stalks her in sunglasses for the length of an aqueduct from the cool of a bar he flutters her hands arches her brow, rolls her R on the Spanish steps A fleeting touch, the ghost of a laugh. She spins round, but her English full stops are gone. And the way we say dog eat dog won't come. And back at the flat, familiar phrases and tenses are packing for home. The language Italian pours forth her sorrow, then stills her in close-up. She looks stricken, but only as Lorraine or Lola Brigida does stricken, wildly accusing the world with dolorous shoulders and eyes. Later, a candle between them cuts through the dark, he calls her Carina. She only smiles Lupo Manja Lupo, his voice is a ruin. As he traces her cheekbone, she sighs. I'm going to go straight into one. That had a bit of Italian in, for those of you who were on your sort of observant. Uh, so I'm going to put one in now with a tiny smattering of French. Not a lot, just a little bit. This is not a fad. Because I think you'd like me better as an artefact, I sit for ages in the sculpture park. Flies settle on my arms. Because I think you'd keep me close if I'd been customised in a foundry. I will myself to turn to bronze. Rain falls. J'ai la verticale dans mon esprit, I tell my spine, channelling Matisse. This is not a fad. Like the long weekend I spent being Danish in monochrome knitwear saying, Tuck, in exchange for tea. This is for real. I shall remain here, unmoved by sheep, and hedge trimmers, until you notice me. What next? Um, ah, right, yes. So I think we've all probably sat in a medical waiting room one time or another. So uh, this is about that actual setting. It's newish. It's called Chronic Waiting Zone. These are the daylight hours, but we absorb beneath the surface... Tepid lighting. <coughs> Shrink feet, please, for a husband wheeling woman. Fixate on trolleyed notes and staff who pass and pass. Does anyone believe in all this striding? All the litany of strange, stranger names? Shahido Hulk, Dawn Carrier, Angela Chart. Something is up. Something is very definitely crawly and dark on the outskirts of our vision. A girl tells Hazel in reception they were 9.15 and now it's 12.08. Gets back, we go by numbers here, not times. And lines of X and V and Y start crawling. And if it's just a black dot on the horizon, why is it following us? What do we do if it ripens? It's hot, not letting up. We could strip. Quiet today, says Hazel. I like it. Um, This just in. We strongly advise getting out of the house and talking to real people. Old people, young people, it doesn't matter which, so long as they are people, not aliens or projections or dust. There are many varied health benefits to talking to real people. Intestinal sugar content drops, purity of heart sores, frequency of supraventricular ectopic beats declines. When asked to equate talking to real people with food consumption, 76% said it was like drinking a smoothie, 14% like discovering an old boiled sweet in your pocket, 9% mentioned cramps. There is currently a government study into talking to real people. Knock-on effects will be plotted on graphs and peer assessed. Some of the peers will be people talking. Some of it will feel real. I always like doing that one because it legitimizes my... Collection title, which is Smoothie. Um, I'm going to hold it up upside down. Why not? Just to be randomly surreal. No, there we go. Smoothie, product placement, shameless plug. Please buy it. I'm poor. You know, I'm a poet. Um, and so I'm allowed to make these begging, begging rem- remarks. Uh, what now? Oh, yes, a hellish fridge. Edgar's fridge. Before Ed died, his fridge got hot shrugging off its former life as one long chilly charade, it set itself to tropicalize inside. Milk became sludge, bacon putrid, alien white spores landed. On a dish of cooked tomatoes. He tried to reason with it, but the only sound it made was fast and mean. Ribbit, ribbit, like a frog on acid, like it liked to leak sedition to the yard outside, where the birds no longer woke up singing, only lay around on branches, smoking joints, bitching about the cats. He went in one last time to liberate a sausage pie. It was hell in there. noxious geezers steamed in salad trays. Froth drooled from condiment jars. The coolant in this item's veins was molten. It ticked, he thought, for joy. I made you a bomb, joked Ed. It's in the fridge. Nobody laughed. How am I doing for time, may I ask? Because I've got two or one left. One minute! Oh my god! Pressure. Right. Last poem in smoothie. It is called Septemberish. Here we go. Someone said, leave your rancor snagged on bracken. Inhale yellow wood smoke. Never mind if the path to revelation's clogged with loose strife, with devil's bit. If the rock formation in your face begins to ache, this is nature. Plain white bread sky, silver washed fritillary uncalled to account, and you. Your sporting rivalry with that down-at-heel sheep to see who can climb the mountain slowest. Oh ho, thinks sheep, but you're as obdurate as that tractor in that ditch. And even if you meet yourself halfway up, already coming back, Medusa-haired, Cagula, stinking of weed, keep on. In the rumination contest, you can win.
1: But give it up one more time for the beautiful set from the beautiful Claudine. Fantastic stuff. by the book,
6: it Looks fab. You are listening to part three of the Poemathon, an all-day non-stop sponsored poetry reading from a lineup of 60 brilliant poets in May 2019. As of this podcast being published, you can still donate to our fundraising total at bit.ly forward slash poemdonate. Your donation will help support the Poetry Society's programme of events, publications, education and outreach work and keep the doors open to our central London venue, the Poetry Cafe. That's bit.ly forward slash poem donate.
1: Thanks. for uh, handing over to Greg. So uh, I'd like you to welcome uh, the next poet to the stage. Natalie Whittaker is a poet and a secondary school teacher. Um, her debut pamphlet is called Shadow Dogs. Please put your hands together and welcome Natalie to the stage. Thank you.
7: Day. A dog's shadow crosses the park, let loose off its black lead, it sniffs and is sole eyewitness to empty booze bottles tangled in nettles, the necromancy and parliament of the previous evening, where we exercised our shadow dogs on the slopes up to the smashed glass hothouse, Fearing their sighs in the heartthrob dusk, their stilt legs stretched and monstrous as the sun sat obediently down. Um, thank you. Uh, so, this next poem um, is called '96' because uh, it's set on the '96' bus route uh, which runs between Woolwich and Bluewater Shopping Centre, if any of you are interested, where I used to work. '96. A chicken box ricochets down the aisle, hot and tasty, just the way you like it. Tonight the pigeon ship town washes by, under a cold and tasteless sky. This place where we've wasted our lives, like two spiders circling a sink. And the plastic seats swing through the streets, and the stop button shrieks at you to stop. But the silver trace of everyone's day has fogged the top deck windows and you dare to wipe your name in that breath that sensed a hundred rain bedazzled hoods. Knowing that the cost of those letters in condensation, your wet syllables ghosting sodium light is the use of all of those strangers breaths. Um, So everyone reading here today was um, asked to donate a line to do with outer space or the moon, Um, and this is the poem that I gifted a line from. Deep Field. A moth's wing stammered in the air vent. I unzipped on one side of the bell tent. Tea lights spent their carbon in a lantern that panicked stars onto the canvas. Outside, deep-filled, you pointed at a moon, so real your finger came back dusty. We stared like telescopes at our past, that dark spot encrusted with galaxies. Um, so this is another poem set on a bus, Um is called The Night Someone Threw a Brick. The night someone threw a brick through the windscreen of the bus all eight feet of glass burst at once like a spit bubble shivers whispered down the aisle sparkled on the front seats and in the silence that followed I checked I was alive The bus exhaling hot exhaust, I was still alive. Three rows from the front, I was still alive. On Dartford Hill, did I want to be alive. And what is this life, if not a brick, through the windscreen of every day? I wanted to be the brick and the glass. Slivers so precious, they should be picked. From the plastic floor. With white gloves. Under LED strip lights. Those ugly stars. But splinters of me would remain. Even after the repair shop. The depot. Even weeks later. The bus back in service. I'd be there. Being ground down under buggy wheels. That squeal like pigs. My crushed silver. Reflected in a convex mirror (laughs) so a bit more cheerful hopefully (laughs) Uh, this one's called Boat Party the thames is electric and the evening drunken the lighting rig spinning pink and green out onto the river every highlight on the water like a fag butt briefly sparkling then trod on every ashy constellation lost in others Below decks it's hip-hop versus R&B and I think hip-hop is winning just. We pass under Hungerford Bridge and for a few seconds worry that people will gob on our heads and in our pints but then in the space above a paddle steamer moored on the embankment the houses of parliament put their hands in the air raise gun fingers to the sky and some guy gives the finger to the building in general and shouts fuck those pricks and we all laugh and repeat fuck those pricks but I'm sure everyone is thinking of a different individualised prick or set of pricks. We chug on into a sex on the beach coloured sunset and the moon is raw like a spot of flesh under peeled sunburn and inside the crowd hammers on the low gilt ceiling as a track drops and later there'll be ringing in ears and later there'll be strobes like lightning. Um, So I'm just going to read two more. Ooh. Okay, I'll read three more then. All right, I'll read three more. The ring-necked parakeets of south-east London are screaming and green. In their hundreds they lift from fired-up trees and flee over luminous joggers, rained lurches, a lake, into a highlighter-pink sky... As beyond park gates, rude boys rev their snarling engines. And if night starts anywhere, it's here. The earth leeching light from the sky as the sun's dusty projector bulb dies. We splash through dark that pulls on paths and run from the evening that roosts, silencing the suburbs. So um, this poem is called I am a mourning person, which my husband will confirm is a liar. <laughs> I am a morning person, but only when that morning brings two blue bottles droning like tiny chainsaws to the shower, bouncing off black tiles like electrocuted prunes, and only when that morning commences with me whipping one blue bottle to death, with a white towel then washing its body down the drain and continues with me leaving the other flyer alive for just an hour and writing I want a baby onto a single sheet of loo roll. I don't want a baby on another then watching from the doorway to know which the doomed but living fly lands on and makes true. Okay, um, this one's called Not Again. Thank you very much for listening. When I came home that night, you were raving to the shipping forecast in the kitchen, moving with the grace of a broken puppet and wearing the hair of the dog, his brown fur. I said, you bring me peace like an earthquake you turned on the smashed up tiles and said watch what happens when one person screams at night then screamed at the night the whole city screamed back echoes smacking around cars and lampposts only the shaved dog stayed silent I knew in the morning the sparrows would drop eggshells like our thoughts all snappish and empty and somewhere a fox was gargling acid and fish ponds reflected the obvious stars.
8: For those who weren't here at half past one this afternoon, I think that's almost all of you, uh, my name's Greg Freeman. Uh, quite a different audience we've got now than we had then, uh, quite a bigger one. Um, so the, uh, the first uh, poet to introduce uh, on my shift is uh, Noah Jacob. Uh, Noah performs at Poetry LGBT Spoken Word Nights, exploring his experiences of growing up queer, Arab and Muslim. Noah Jacob.
6: Hello, 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 okay. Hi, so um, I'm going to be doing a couple poems today. (laughs) Um, Yes, Um, okay, so this first poem is, if I can find it. Actually, you know what, um, okay, this first poem is about, um, so I grew up in Labrick Grove, um, down the road from Grenfell Tower, and this is about, this is a letter to someone I knew who died in the fire. <clears throat> hey. The day you left, our whole neighborhood was swallowed in upstrokes, in endless graying jaws of smoke. People cried on the news, you didn't get confirmed as dead for weeks, we didn't bury you for a year. Hey. Labrick Grove became a splash zone for widow's tears that day. I told everyone I knew your name for weeks, and their response was temporary. Uncomfortable squirming, missing posters, wallpapered the schools, the pubs, your face was plastered on the insides of my eyelids. Hey, your home is a husk now. And there's no culpability because that word isn't spelt in immigrant English because poverty is a tongue made to swallow a tower block hole. Hey, just know we remember. I can't believe you're gone. Thank you. Um, Okay, so the second poem is about being trans and being Muslim and how much it sucks. Okay, um, so, they ask me why I still call myself my mother's daughter if I'm a man now. I think about the years I spent denying myself the privilege. (laughs) You're smiling at me, it's making me nervous, I'm sorry. So They ask me why I still call myself my mother's daughter if I'm a man now. I think about the years I spent denying myself the privilege of remembering I was once her beautiful baby girl before I was here. The first day I left home without hijab, I felt my scalp on fire. A twisted halo, custom made piece for androgynous sinners. I still pray covered. They didn't let me into the mosque, they didn't let me into the women's section of the mosque, and I cried in the car on the way home, like they'd shut the borders of the homeland I grew up in, and now I'm half caste. So, beardless man boy, why are you crying? Why are you hurting? Isn't this what you wanted? Isn't manhood sweet and ripe and everything you wanted? Thank you. Um, okay, so this is a poem I wrote. Um, it's not finished, but I might as well just read it. Okay. Um, open your... Uh, it's also... Let me finish. It's about uh, my mom and about being like a Muslim woman who's Arab and all that stuff. <laughs> Open your eyes. Womanhood is a golden prize. This double X looks more like dollar signs. A woman body is a piggy bank storing woman money for men who can handle their possessions. My mother would know. She blinks and she shakes and trauma falls out. Her home is the broken jaw on the hinge of an Arabian snarl. Every city like a chipped tooth, every border peeling like old enamel. My grief is in the rotten mother tongue, in our daughters with cheekbones like raised gravestones, bodies like funeral homes. These cities are like cemeteries. So our mothers took war as lovers, fighting the shadows of our absent fathers, clasping this battlefield the way the mountains hold the horizon. And so war sat at the head of the table became our war the man who raised me took up every empty seat. My brothers learned to look up to him. My mother relied on him, and I braced myself for the day she stopped surviving. Thank you. Um, okay, last one. Um, this is like a fake conversation between me and my mom, and it's also about being Muslim and Arab and all that stuff. And being a woman, obviously. Okay. Um, <clears throat> it doesn't matter. My mother insists softly. When I tell her, I still have so much left to say. gap tooth grin, heart-shaped chin, she teaches me philosophy over dinner. She tells me Aristotle gave us the golden median, and Pythagoras stole the golden ratio. I'm not sure if that's right, actually. Moral is white men love gold, and brown girls love whatever white men give them. She got married at 16 to a rich man with a booming voice. Mountains of pre- treasure, her lips were pressed shut for the night. She was scared of angering him, of having her necklace or her earrings or her jewels snatched away. She tells me this, smiling like someone was holding up the sides of her mouth. Honey, girls like us don't know open palms from open wounds. Accept what he gives you like it's love. Don't be too loud. I think about what she says, making dessert. Think about gold and treasure and how come I don't get a gold and watch him call it. But I stay silent, let myself get carried away with the work. Licked lips, hope clipped, imprecise precise cubes of mango. Thank you.
8: Thank you very much, Noah. No Jacob. Thank you. Our next poet up is uh, Graham Clifford. Graham is a poet and head teacher. His latest collection is called Well, and it's published by Against the Grain. Graham Clifford. <laughs> Thank you very much.
9: Um, so I'm just going to read a few poems from this collection, which was published by the Blacklight Engine Room, who, basically I, in here. Sure, sorry. Oh, okay, sure. Um, thank you. Um, so first collection, one of my collections from um, a small press up in Middlesbrough, Blacklight Engine Room. Follow them. They're fantastic. Um, obviously, they only chose me, didn't they? So here's my first poem from here, the Computer Generated Crash Test Dummies, which is all about um, crash test dummies and uh, a virtual version of these. Now, they can crumple and fall exactly as we would. Faceless, they roll down an invisible verge and their heads go thump down on their knees or they go back down on their knees and their heads flip back. Their necks would snap if this were real life. Every permutation of falling is being logged. Soon, there will be nothing we don't know about how to be broken. Now, we are dropping couples to see if they end intertwined. One rests on another's head. It might be that their legs not, or side by side, one hand is on another's. Once two spooned. We create a flow to mock up the piles that happen. Hands and arms in a million patterns. When the screen is full, then erased, restarting is a clean crime. In order to learn, we have to make every mistake. Um... Thank you. Um, This is about um, uh, uh, young men and growing up. There's a lot about toxic masculinity out there at the moment, and it's fascinating and it's it's real. And um, observations of of how uh, young men are growing up is is incredible. On the shaking of hands. Here are young men practicing handshakes around a small table. Too deep in, or not in enough is serious for one or the other. And how much to squeeze, and how long to squeeze. Imagine pulling away too soon as another is still staring you in the eye and squeezing his presence into your palm. Then imagine him attempting to leave your grip but can't. One takes another's hand with his non-shaking hand and slides his in slowly, hand flat till a correct depth is met, and then folds the other's fingers around his as he does the same. A slow-mo textbook version as reference. Next comes the lesson of the match. How the bitterest enemy will cup his hands with yours like petals about a stamen of fire to light his cigarette. So that's about kind of learning to be a man in one way or another. Um... I've been thinking quite a lot about success, and I was writing uh, this pamphlet, what that means, and it means different things to different people at different times. Personal success, emotional success, success at work, uh, you know all these kind of permutations of success. Um, and I was reading around quite a lot, and, um, uh, and this is a poem about that. Uh, it's also a true story. Success. In 2010, Iran successfully sent a rat turtle, and worms into space. (laughs) Um, Okay, this is from my collection, uh, which Seren very kindly produced uh, a little while back. Um, And uh, uh, I am a head teacher, and uh, obviously a teacher for a while before that, and um, looking after children, teaching them, it's an important job, we all know that, but sometimes people get it wrong, and they don't get it wrong on purpose, but you can just feel the wrongness. Uh, Song for Empty Rooms. Everyone came in at different times. The boy with no friends who sang so well that everybody noticed and he sunk it irretrievably. A fat girl who mumbled the daft lyrics into her chest while two spiteful bitches spat at her back and the hated song went on about love. And the well-shaped girls at the front sang too high to hide. And the boy, mostly asleep, standing up, realised, in the rafters is a boat. And the girl with a moustache sang deep as a man, while the boy with no dad laughed and laughed at the boy with two mums, who sang like bubbles struggling through mud, and got told off for it. Made to sing on his own, and did, in tears. Until they realised it was him, so told everybody, enjoy it. Feel it. Move us. And the boy with the most friends felt utterly alone. While outside, the music of afternoons wasted itself. Drilling, the sore buzz of tiles being cut, overlaid on a siren at the edge of hearing. The hammering of men that always sat at the back, who'd spent their days fingering cracks and curls of prehistoric tape, touching splinters on the flip side of where sums got done. Men carrying with them the feeling of being perpetually in the wrong place, except when standing in empty rooms with windows without glass. Um, uh, this is a poem uh, which happens to be a sonnet, which is pure accident. Uh, I wrote a while ago. Again, it's about, it's about growing up. Um, and it's uh, about puberty in a way, uh, and other things. Skinned. The lad in the calf at the end of the pier is so wrecked by puberty we're afraid he might forget to breathe. He's a skinned nerve, a child in a man suit fumbling our tea and biscuits. I pay with pocket warm coins and our fingers touch. He flicks a glance at me with eyes like bullet holes. Poor sod. I remember the throb in my leg bones in dinner queues at school, how elongating on the sofa... I begged mum to knead my calves, how one muggy evening, a bloke stared back from the wardrobe mirror, daring me with a frown to solve the numbing blush, to explain why his best friend was no longer anywhere near enough. Just a few from uh, this collection, um, from Against the Grain. Brilliant um, press. Look them up. They're they're, they're wonderful. They're producing some great stuff. Um, Very, very happy that they published this for me. Um, Well, um, this first poem, uh, uh, we had a reader earlier with some Italian and some French going on. I always have been really impressed by that. I think, blimey, if you can put some foreign language in your poems, then you're really really doing something. So uh, I had a go as well. I've got some French in here. So apologies for my... D, uh, A-level uh, attempts at this. But this is about Ray Sassi Annie, who you may know is the doll that we resuscitate when you're, when you're training to um, give the kiss of life. And the story around Ray Sussie Annie is that um, the face is based on someone who committed suicide in France about over 100 years ago. She threw herself off uh, one of the bridges into the Seine, uh, was brought out, and um, she was so beautiful and her image went around everywhere. people became fascinated by who this woman was um, and then her death mask was used as the first as a doll first of all, and then was used as this racecy Anne doll and so now that face, when you look at it, you are seeing the woman who committed suicide all that time ago Racy Anne. I am simply the latest to come to you with my frantic efforts at restarting your heart. Adrenaline breath in through the lips that Baudelaire compared to La Jaconde's. Everything burns internally when I Google you, for images only. Everything since they fished you from the Seine by the Quai de Louvre, causing a hole in humanity. We couldn't cope with this loss. Countless corporations and attempts have been made on your likeness, Anconu, Smiling and concentrated, black and white and in high def, in water, on land, scenarios and death masks, the rucksack of baby annies you gave birth to, decapitated you, French kissed, a trunk. You goad us, implying you could still be reanimated if we keep thumping on your improved chest, more lifelike in its trademark death. Perhaps it is this handing on that is the saving, Anne. A toy maker and a doctor made you. Breathe. One, two, three. Um. Yeah, okay, great. Um, So this is, uh, you know what it's like when people talk about dreams, but this is a poem about a dream. It's nearly normal. It's called Nearly Normal Dream. There was nothing to my dream except there were two of everything, two double bases, two soups. When I had to leave you both again and open the doors, two brutal worlds rejected my double efforts. I woke up drenched by twice the sadness, where my other heart was ached. Um, Apart from uh, reading poems that I've got other languages kind of in, Uh, which is very impressive. I also was always very impressed by poems with uh, references to art, history, and art. So here's my poem with some references in it. Um, Although it's called... The attempt was to write a poem with nothing in it. It's called Poem with Nothing in It. I try to write a poem devoid of everything. No family, no hopes, no horror. They say it can't be done. I hold my breath so the train window won't mist, and I can see the city blink in the dark without my reflection. A first empty line appears. It is see-through, like an odd glass pipe from the garden of earthly delights. The next is lonely as Voyager. I write on. No history emerges, no influences or echoes. There is no one in the poem. I don't describe anything. But stalk its corridors that go on like the hall that unfolds when two mirrors face each other. The absence of any point is remarkable. Um, um, just one last one, and um, uh, just to say that these are all for sale and all money if anyone would like to buy anything, go directly to the Poetry Cafe. There's even limited edition vinyl here, which I see very often. It's a double B side. Um, Only £5, nearly Christmas uh, and that's got some poems from that pamphlet which I just read Um, Everything will go to Paul and the Poetry Cafe. Not to Paul, to the Poetry Cafe. (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, it's a big scam. Um, um, But uh, last poem, I'd like to sympathise and apologise to all poets previous and existing. Unfortunately, everyone, I've written the best poem ever written. And it it can be backed up. There's the evidence. It's in there. Seren published it. It was also, Faber put it in the anthology as well in 2015. So I've written the best poem ever written. So sorry, everyone. Here it is. The best poem ever written. I write a poem that is the best. Massive. Not just long, but huge intellectually, and although it is book-length, reading is like free-falling, each line greased with two genius thoughts. The poem makes me famous. I wander oxygen-depleted nights down city streets and hear lines of my poem bartered between moist lovers. On the train, I peek over the top of a hardback book about me at a man in a suit nodding off and recognise the words he's mouthing in his swoon. All front pages, every day, showcase stanzas of my poem. Bombings and murders get tucked inside. The new novelist pays well to get my poem printed as an introduction. She knows her work makes no sense without it. Everyone I've ever known rings me to ask how I did it, and I say I don't know, and that's the truth. After a year, the fuss hasn't died away. I sit at my computer and hear next door turn the TV on. I put my ear to the wall. It's an actor, and he's reading my poem. It's a good version. I've heard it before. He has a Shakespearean voice, doing justice to what the introducer called the best poem ever written. I listen to it all. I travel where the poem takes me, then get back in my chair and write a better one. Thank you. Thank you
8: very much, Graham. Graeme Clifford.
3: You. you are listening to part three of the Poemathon, an all-day non-stop sponsored poetry reading from a lineup of 60 brilliant poets in May 2019. As of this podcast being published, you can still donate to our fundraising total at bit.ly/poemdonate. Your donation will help support the Poetry Society's programme of events, publications, education and outreach work and keep the doors open to our central London venue, the Poetry Cafe. That's bit.ly slash poemdonate.
8: In one Thanks. sense, uh, after that poem, we might as well all go home now. But on the other hand, I think we've got another five and a half hours to go. So we must press on. And uh, uh, the, next, the next poem up, I'm sure I'll get a n- name wrong, but uh, Sarala Estruch, more or less. Uh, Sarala is a Ledbury Festival poetry critic, and co founder of Lodestone Poets. Sarala, thank you. Thank you.
10: Um, can I get help? Yeah. Thank you. Oh, oh that's fine. Yeah. Brilliant. Thank you. Um, yeah, thank you uh, for inviting me today, um, this evening. Um, as I'm sure many of you are aware, um, this week is a Mental Health Awareness Week. And um, Which I think is really great. I think it's really important to help to dispel the stigma of um, mental health. And um, I read something on Twitter uh, la- earlier, earlier this week um, by the American poet um, Maggie Smith. And it, it was just a tweet, but it was really interesting. And I thought it was a good sort of introduction to my poem. Um, she wrote... Know that every person you encounter has a struggle, a hidden wound, a burden to carry that hurts them. Be kind. Maybe something you do or say today will be the good medicine they need. And she also said, give of yourself generously. Um, So this poem is sort of my attempt to give of myself generously. It's called To the Wounded Among Us. To the wounded among us. But everyone is wounded a little. What are hearts but purple pumping wounds? What are we but hearts traveling in skin suits? Today we are tired of listening This morning we woke with our ears full, Cochlea still reverberating with gunshot, and the bombs we detonated yesterday in yet another failed attempt to colonise each other. And when, over breakfast, you gifted me your tall barricade of a back, I bit into my toast to occupy my throat. Did you ever consider love as a kind of deafness? Not only the act of making love, when the tympanic membranes are so pumped with blood, we can hear nothing but the sound of ourselves pulsating. But love itself, the way it can refuse to read words on lips, preferring to hear bend of arm, incline of neck, susuration of skin. The way love can translate an argument, I hate you, I'm leaving, into the clamor of blood pouring through veins, screaming, I love you, I'm hurting, hold me. Um, One of the wounds I return to perpetually in my writing is the loss of my father. Um, He passed away suddenly, um, the result of a heart attack, when he was only 37, um, and I myself was only 7. The next poem explores that feeling of loss, um, but as well as my nascent uh, awareness of my mixed-race identity. It's called My Indian Grandmother. My Indian grandmother isn't Indian. She turns up at my mother's flat five weeks after my father's death, majestic with silver curls, like a taller version of the queen. Call me Gran. I struggle to greet her. My father never mentioned her or any family member. My mother shakes her hand with poise, while in the kitchen the kettle screams. My Indian grandmother takes me shopping for the day. You can choose anything you like. By the dress rack, she has a million questions. She wants to know my favourite everything in the pick-and-mix aisle. I fill the paper bag at her insistence, with pear drops and marshmallow twists. Don't tell her I'm not interested in things as I used to be. That licorice, for instance, doesn't taste as sweet, and red and green have lost their radiance. In the back of the taxi, head-turned, absorbing London streets, I get a closer look, regal neck and silver locks, pale skin gently creped it's strange to think my father's hair will never grow white that his skin won't soften and fold into itself like a rose that holds onto its stalk long after passing its peak how am I doing? Um, I think I've got time for a final one. Um, four minutes, yeah, okay. Uh, I write a lot about motherhood um, in my poetry as well. I've got two um, lovely young children, um, and the next poem explores the challenges of motherhood, um, particularly the challenges of raising a son in a patriarchal society, but that's, it's not too strong in there, I don't think. Um, it's a dramatic monologue, um, spoken in the voice of Dan Danae, 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 tell me afterwards, um, who in Greek mythology is the mother of Perseus. Um, Perseus, as you'll know, um, is also Zeus's son, um, and he slays the, Gorg, the Gorgon Medusa um, when he's older. Um, but in this poem, Perseus is a child and um, it's written from the point of view of his mother. Uh, But a word of caution, not everything is as it seems in this poem, so uh, pay attention. When I ask my six-year-old son to stop brandishing his stick on our ramble in the woods, and he brandishes it regardless, missing my head by an inch, I am horrified but not surprised. And complacency saunters in on silver wings, saying, what's the use? He's already half man, half God, staking his place on Mount Olympus. Get used to it. The thought makes me erupt in hives, but I'd rather blister than simper. If destiny decrees he must in manhood meet Medusa, then by heaven... The best I can do as his mother is give him an education. This moment will do better than the next. So I halt my steps, stand in the light of a sudden clearing, lift my hand to untie the knot, feel the leaden weight drop, and let them down, the forked scarlet tongues. Thank you.
8: Thank you very much, Sir Arla. Thank you. Uh, the next poet is Geraldine Clarkson. She's published three poetry chat books, most recently Number 25 with Shears- Shearsman Books. Uh, she's won many poetry competitions, including Ambit, Poetry London, Magma, and the Veer Prize. Geraldine Clarkson. Cool.
11: Thanks, Craig. That was a beautiful reading. O oh, cow of love O oh, cow of love you have me pinned to your evergreen felt and are in at my ear with fermenting oaths and actual imprecations i rebut you with a tough raft of arguments derived from magazines under the sofa at my aunt libby's house i have a disease Your rump is small. Your rich cream disgusts me. And others, which are more sophisticated, from the Bible and books of philosophy. You give me a soft brown stare. How I wobble before you now, cow of love, humongous like a free-range sack of boulders, swaying delightfully, your cordial spine rippling, your Celtic skeleton offering promise. To eat you would be divine, surely, your emerald milk fast forwarding to your stomachs, pressed over and over by clenching muscles. Why is it you cows get such bad press anyway? I wonder, half beguiled. Sometimes I see you fenced, defending young. Always let go of your dog if cows surround you, the notice on the farm gate says. Or at the abattoir steaming, and hung prosaically on hooks or on the plate with no relief except for some mocking green salad, staked out, defenceless. They say your flesh can stay unsullied in the gut for six months or more. Bowels fill with longing for sloping fields of faraway sea that poem was Love Cow, which I always associate with the Poetry Society because I was lucky enough to have it published in Poetry Review when Maurice Reardon was the editor. And then Mike Sims of the Poetry Society invited me to um, go behind the poem um, for a feature on the website. So I always associate it with the Poetry Society. and It's nice to read it um, in situ here. And... uh, now the result of a summer spent watching reruns of Agatha Christie, Miss Marple loosens her bra, flicks dust and cottagey debris from the sill and leans bare elbows through the lattice to catch a snatch of South Down's air. A line of sweat down her body's meridian prickles in response to the breeze. In the garden... Rock lilies stand to attention, and a low dog rolls cock-a-hoop in oak shade. What path of peccadilloes led me here, she wonders. Beyond the hills, the sea's serrated line seems years away in the past, memories kept, pickled like winter fish. She fingers a refolded Dear Jane letter, always pressed to her person. Only today, her person seems the wrong size and shape and there's a licking restlessness, an itch to shrug off armadillo shell and wriggle out from tiresome chasing after clues, lascivious panting at the door of others' misfortunes. The grandmother clock strikes 4.15. Miss Marple rehooks herself and chugs lavender talc between her breasts cold cuts and pick a lily as usual for tea. Um, My next poem has the same title as a very high-profile book which came out recently, though it has nothing to do with that. Um, Lots of poets have Alice poems, Alice in Wonderland, and this is my Alice poem. Um, And it was first published in Poetry London a few years back, so it's definitely... Before, not after Robert MacFarlane, Underland. Towards winter solstice, Alice can no longer cope with groping down blind alleys, being groped by creatures she doesn't (coughs) comprehend, in places obscure to her. She has issues with size, this human yo-yo no permanence, and issues between her thighs, no liniments, no malice, just a sweet intrinsic no to everything, a refusal to go along. This long winter night is ritual to her, good, rich, black fostering, freedom from his wittering. The Valley Press are bringing out an anthology of prose poetry at the end of this month or next month and I'm very happy to have this poem included in it. My Mother, the Monsoon I go out early to do her messages to avoid her brill-creamed exes who will dip in at the bookies betting on snow for Christmas, rain for St. Swithin's Day. And her brigade of lady friends who breakfast, who finger meaty garnets at their throats and linger over each other's wrinkles, ogling. The comedy of correctness. Back home, the house is full of ticks, of mad cousins making money, breaking culture with karate chops, gnawing on it with their eye teeth. Moderation is one over the top for the mother. Who is family for the old lady dwindling, circled by doctors and district nurses like the farmer's wife in her den? The beautiful and the stunned. I'm suddenly dumped into a whole year of mouldy Mondays, arcane and off the boil. Be still for the postman, lick his lovely thumb. Dumb, lovely, plump, with packages. If you are good, he will give you a neighbour's missive. It's not considered dishonest anymore, he says, and he has a dispensation and is probably double-jointed. This family is a becalmed army, idiot with sealed passion. Mother has climate change for a personality. I have become one of the drafts in a stately home, brocade-curtained, and visited nostalgically. Don't take me for lost. I have cleaned the carpet of every room with my rasping tongue, rinsed each with tears. Don't take me for the host. Be sick, she says, it's less risky, and you'd make a lovely corpse, chisel-cheeked and modest. She reigns for half my life. And, um, oh, plenty. <laughs> I better read something different because I was going to read my final one. Um, I'll read um, Homily of Francis about whether we need to use words or write poetry at all. Preach amber, ambergris, preach sweet pea, purple sprouting bread, Preach tourmaline and turquoise, radish. Preach moon sprawl, full cream silk, winds punch, yellow storm, pigeon, squirrel, monkfish and lawn. Peach. Preach midnight blue, mackerel sky, pomegranate. Preach cherimoya and budgerigar, flaked gold harvest. Preach honey skin and peacock feather, vermilion, passion flower, lily. Preach orange fire and white heat, snow, ice, cacciatore, asparagus, broken crystal, only. Waterfall, drought, flounce of blossom, only use. bunyan roots, crocodile, hummingbirds, only use words. Preach pepper, dance. Preach rocky coves, only use words if... And prairies, parsnip bouillon, the violin. Only use words if you played in French. Only use words if you have to. And I'll dedicate my final poem, as I have done before, to the Poetry Society for all that they do for poets and poetry. You taught me a new way of singing. The words thick in my throat, like birds caroling, catcalls, badger jazz, and all manner of tunes squirrels away for the future. The lessons burnt in my gullet until I, in my turn, had taught them to others, and then two, three, seven of us were singing together and jamming, thrumming and humming, stipple-tonguing in clots and gobs of sound, dribbling and sliding, colliding in chords and climbing, seven-handed and knotted, bats-cradled, treehouse, skirling with hymns. Us, busking in basque, arabesque, you bosky, you buzzing, you clopping in time. Thanks for listening. Thank
3: you are listening to part 3 of the Poemathon, an all-day non-stop sponsored poetry reading from a line-up of 60 brilliant poets in May 2019. As of this podcast being published, you can still donate to our fundraising total at bit.ly/poemdonate. Your donation will help support the Poetry Society's programme of events, publications, education and outreach work and keep the doors open to our central London venue, the Poetry Cafe. That's bit.ly/poemdonate.
8: Thanks. on my shift before I hand over to Judy as MC, But before that, I'd just like to say that uh, when I um, volunteered to uh, be one of the compares today, I, I, I suddenly belatedly wanted to check with Paul, uh, who was doing the timekeeping, because that's a rather crucial and important job, and quite an onerous one as well. I was very relieved to find out that Paul was going to be doing it from 12 o'clock today till... 10 o'clock at night. I think. So I think it's time we had a bit of a round of applause for Mr. Paul McGrane. For all the hard work he's been doing all day. Thank you. Thank you very much. So yes, the, the last poet on my, on my shift is Ben Rogers who's the marketing manager at the Poetry Society. His pamphlet, Mackerel Salad, is published with the Emma Press. Ben Rogers. <laughs>
3: Poor Dog, Poor Dog, Poor Bony Dog, Stomps on moody knoll, on soggy wood, Follows brook to top of gloomy moor, Wholly lost, no know-how on how to go, Or how to go on. Poor Dog, Poor Bloodshot Dog, pogoes on mossy rocks, Old Moon looks on, Cod God, Prowly O, Owl Sotto Hoot, Odd swoony swoop, cold polyphony, to-woo, to-woo. Poor dog, poor rock-bottom dog, now nods north, lop-hop trot on stony clods, on chlorophyll fronds, on hollow logs, on long, knobbly, flossy roots. Poor dog, poor punky dog, floozy rhythm of boggy world, spotchy monochord, forlorn drop, drop, onto downy brown boggly pool. Poor dog, poor lost dog. Now, wrongly, not north. Stomps on moody knoll on soggy wood. Follows brook to top of gloomy moor. Poor lost, poor lost, poor solo sorrow howl. Poor loony, loop on loop on loop on loop on loop. (laughs) So that uh, that was the... poem that had a line from it, which is in the Moon Cento, which you can get upstairs if you weren't aware of that already. There's a whole load of poets taking part today who've got a line in that poem. So I'm going to read another spacey poem now. It's called, uh, it's about Meteor Shower, Perseids. Perseids, Metaphor. The sense of power on confronting the horizon bounding energy and boundarylessness, the sea endlessly repeating itself as though repetition is the only way anyone will listen, the sky dark and masked. Today, I was beset by a succession of phone calls by people who were dissatisfied with the system that they perceived me to be running. I said to them I wasn't in control of the system, which wound them up even more. Toss the coin. Sea means do it. Sky means don't. If the sky is so helpless, why do you feel it is pulling your strings? If hope is a piece of string I should follow, and inspiration is a meteor shower I must not miss, how do I make sure I'm in the right place at the right time? Is there a timetable for me? Nothing on the internet relates specifically to me. I rang someone yesterday and railed at them for the system, and they said it wasn't a system they particularly understood either, which maddened me more aren 't they supposed to be the authority on this? Where is a coin when you want one? I walk and walk and walk, looking for a patch of sky where there are no clouds. A meteor is a metaphor for metaphors. <laughs> I'm going to uh, read um this <coughs> Uh, these poems are from a sequence inspired by the uh, Magritte paintings, uh, where he's done 27 paintings called Empire of Light. So I'm going to read uh, three of those Unexpected Darkness. We were leaving the house, and now the house has left. We were thinking about a labyrinth, and now we are in a labyrinth. We felt as though we were a distance from ourselves, and now we are further from ourselves. We were a black dot on the map, and now the whole map is the dot. We were outside in the rain, and now we don't know if we were really outside or in the rain. We were arm in arm, and now we have lost them. We were on the verge of night, and now we are in the valley of night. We were headed towards the exit, and now everywhere is the exit. Bright blue sky at night. I'd heard so much about terror. They said to me, you can never know terror until it comes and visits you. Terror has a thousand faces. Against a bright blue sky... They are raising flags for terror up and down the streets, and what makes the terror feel more real is that these terror flags ripple when there is no wind. Terror has its own energy, they said to me. They said it with terror in their eyes, and in so doing, they filled my own eyes with terror. An uncertain lake. Tell us about your whereabouts last week, they said. Tell us about your whereabouts earlier today, they said. Tell us about your whereabouts next week, they said. ''What does next week have to do with it?'' I said. ''Planning to leave, are you?'' they said. ''Have you been to the mountains?'' they said. ''No, I haven't.'' I said. ''How long haven't you?'' they said. ''I haven't at all.'' I said. What kind of person chooses to live near the mountains but has no interest in them?'' they said. ''I like looking at them.'' I said. ''Did you hear what happened in the woods last week?'' they said. ''Why do you look uncertain?'' they said. ''I don't know what happened in the woods.'' I said. ''That's why I was uncertain.'' I said. ''We think it's because you aren't certain what to tell us,'' they said. ''That's true,'' I said. ''Because I have nothing to tell you,'' I said. ''It's our job to get you to tell us something,'' they said. ''No one knows nothing,'' they said. ''Do you know what De Champsia Cespertesa is?'' they said. ''Do you know what L'Azula Pelosa is?'' they said. ''No, I don't,'' I said. ''You don't know much about nature,'' they said. ''I don't know Latin,'' I said. ''You did it at school,'' they said. ''How do you know that?'' I said. ''It's in the records,'' they said. ''What do you know about the lake?'' they said. I know nothing about the lake, I said. You said that quickly, they said. I am certain, I said. No one is that certain, they said. I am, I said. I would remember, I said. So you were saying that unlike everyone else, your memory is perfect, they said. I'm not saying that, I said. You weren't certain about the woods. What makes you certain about this, they said. I've got used to uncertainty, I said. Going to read. Um, hold on, where is it? Scrolling up and down. There it is. Augustine, I am standing in an impassive wood with an unfolded piece of card in my hand, which has a hand-drawn map on it, produced by the man who didn't say what he was called, in the quaint house around two miles previously. He was having a breather from trying to sort through an old box of papers he'd found in one of the cupboards in the eaves. He had an expression, when opening the door, of someone who was hoping that the person on the other side would solve some long nagging problem for him, or plug a now possibly permanent absence. His words, pedestrian queries and observations, didn't reflect the look though, and it made me think while I walked away from his house that there is probably in some language a word to describe how you don't want to describe something you want because you don't think you will ever get it. He had trouble drawing a straight line, though I suppose it's not easy here to walk one. The trees are evergreen, which means in the east they are considered lucky and reliable because they are constant, though it also means it is harder to make out the pencil on the map because of their greater occlusion of the now tiring sun. Over the stile nearby is a small grave for a dog called Augustine. I had the thought while looking at the piece of moss that was part obscuring the N and for that matter all possibility of an E that there might be a word that describes with indescribable aptness the situation I am in, in a language I will never learn. It didn't say what breed of dog. I am now calling the wood a forest and for a moment while looking at the jumble of it all had a sense of how it was all organised, each wink and crack of it that sense has now evaporated. In a local paper I saw recently on a bus far from here, the number of people missing in that part of the country had gone down for the fourth year running, though I ruminated while stepping over a delta of roots. that that's not necessarily to say that there are more people being found, just that it could be we are getting less good at counting the lost. Okay, I'll read one... Tower poem, which is also just to continue the dog theme, since we're on that. Coit Tower, San Francisco. They pick their steps carefully as they encounter a coyote on the approach to the tower. A coyote is a trickster, says one. Does it think the tower is named after it? says another. They agree that the tower is a fire hose that says it isn't. Inside over a window over the city, They notice the words, in God we trust. One says, does God trust the American dollar? Many murals, a man collecting mail, a woman collecting lilies, lines of factories, trails of -of out-of-work workers. How would you describe the 1930s, I asked them. On fire, says one. A lonely dog, says one. A lonely dog on fire, says another. One looking out of the window reads words from the car park. No. Lane. Clear. Only. Keep. Exit. The rest of the group are facing a view which they all know is just a fresco of a view and they exhale all their fears with their lonely dog
8: sighs. Thanks. Thank you, Ben. Ben Rogers. Thank you. And it's goodbye from me and um, handing over to Judy.
7: Hi, I'm Judy Brown. I'm going to be doing the introducing for the next hour. And the first poet um, to read is Jade Cuttle, who's a double recipient of the Foyle Young Poet Award and won first place in the 2014 BBC Proms Competition.
12: If everyone can hear me, then I think that's fine. Can everyone hear me? Oh, hey. Nice to see some friendly faces. <laughs> um, cool. Thank you. Um, yeah, so I've got some new poems I've been working on this year. I've just started a master's programme uh, in poetry at UEA, um, thanks to friends kind of encouraging me to apply. I was kind of like, hmm, is it good to apply for a master's or not? But I'm really pleased I did it. So these are very much works in progress, but from that. Um, I'll begin with a manifesto. Um, that was one of um, our kind of modules, manifesto writing. I think there should be more manifesto writing nowadays. So this is mine and this is kind of what my poems are trying to, trying to kind of work through. So a manifesto towards a poetics of escape. Let me escape the law of language. Let me turn the key until it breaks, until it rusts until the poetic truth locked within the skin of words seeps out. Words as cage, the agonizing chafe, the constant storm against the glass. Let it in. Let me cast the lyric eye away from the crowd of words that keep it warm, blindly bowing down beneath its totemic authority. Let me denounce the false sense of fixity locked within the lyric eye. Let me interrogate the lyric eye, left stranded and shivering, without a stage. Let me reject the white narrative of the page. Eject myself out from its claws. Let me ignore the sore red frenzy of Spellchecker as I rewrite the white. There we are. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you. So yeah, it's a bit critical because we have to have like a critical element to the, um, the masters. So that's what the manifesto is trying to get through. Um, so a few poems kind of working through that. Um, they are new poems, very much works in progress, but um, appearing in the spectator soon, weirdly. So um, keep eye out in the next few weeks. Um, this one's called Moulin Rouge. I sent my heart to the slaughterhouse, but it ended up At the meatworks. The place where scraps. Unfit for human consumption. End up. The knacker's yard. Knowing men in bloody overalls. Will peg me up to their podium. With all the other gristle trophies. Stripped back. To the pink blush of meat. Kept in check. By the knife's blow. A moulin rouge of frenzy. Spinning poses of panic. In neat and naked rows a salle de spectacle that enthralls but not enough, destined for the freezer, awaiting permission to thaw. But then I changed my mind about the whole putain de cabaret and requested my heart be sent back to me first class, which it was, a little shaken and peg-grazed, but still intact, barely a bruise despite its pirouettes. I'll pick away the blisters, But I worry that once I start, I won't be able to stop. Like how maggots, given half a chance, will chew their way through marrow, till all that's left is a string of holes where only the wind blows through. Thank you. Thanks. So I've been weaving in a bit more um, French influence recently, for the first time ever, actually, Um, kind of the experimenting with the bilingual kind of different identities coexisting and um, challenging each other on the page. So this one, this is called "Decollete." If skin is supposed to hang neatly off the shoulders, snug as a summer blouse with room to breathe and barter, delicate as a decollete, not to be confused with decollate, which means to be head, then I think that my skin... Needs sending back. It has started to snag around the elbows and split. Spindles poking through to tamper with the day. Its wire framework rusting in the sunlight. Sometimes these bones gallop at such a speed it's difficult to keep up. I've forgotten my skin on a train seat more than once. Sized up by a stranger who smiles then hands it back. Mademoiselle? I've left it slung across the back seat of a taxi, dumped at a soirée, in cloakrooms and countless metros, but it's always sent straight back to my front door. This décalage between my bones and its business leaves me hors de soi. Not quite here, not quite there, voyaging on an out-of-date passport. Eyes like two moons shunted out of orbit, rolling back into their sockets to search for clues. Thank you. <laughs>
6: um,
12: how am I doing for time? Uh, fine, three minutes, cool, okay. Um, this poem um, was for a recent commission by the Poetry Translation Center after responding to a poem called The Elephant by Adelaide Ivanova, uh, which is a brilliant poem. Um, she is a brilliant poet too. Um, so this poem is after that, it's called The Egg. At the time of her death, I was 23 years and nine months old. Thumbs pressed into pockets. I broke my body against the bowl and poured it all out. The sticky mess of self and memory clinging on to the sad wet dress of its shell. I pulled myself apart, hoping to crack my way out. And straight away, you were there cupping your hands for the catch. But we escaped like always, splashing the sides and up the kitchen walls, licked by eager tongues, even though we were off and must have turned the stomach against itself in a frenzied state of curdle. Small bones are not made of honey. We don't build them up just to drizzle your dreams. Suck them dry, you'll see how strong we are breaking teeth with brittle defiance. The world is a horror, the body made of egg, and I wake up with a sticky trail on my pillow each time I think of her. Thank you. Um, yeah, okay. Got time for one more, apparently. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's uh, been cool. Um, I've got one more poem. Um, I usually write about nature, so this is kind of, yeah, algal bloom. It's a bit more typical of the things I write, but (laughs) the master's has been great for experimenting, so it's been fun. So, algal bloom. Head submerged, eyes glazed with salt. I'm caught between the bloom and scum in this rock pool's untaken palm. Wet knuckles capped with cockles clap wildly as each new wave washes me in and out from a body that just wants to break upon the shore. Dragged by the high tide of hope that lichen might latch on and anchor down into bone, I let my grip falter and loose film of skin becomes foam. You dip your toes in, but don't go the distance, like each bloom that came before. I am phosphate dead zone, where hearts flicker and fail. Septic waste, whose taste is bad. Boil me down, the toxins will remain. Neither fire nor flood will kill me either. Thank you.
1: Thanks so much, Jade, that's great. The next poet is Leo Bosch,
7: who's... Um a Latino British bilingual poet who was the winner of this year's Keats Shelley Prize please welcome Leo